It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to have Bill O'Reilly with us tonight. Bill, how are you, my friend? You know, I'm confused. Uh Uh-oh. I'm calling you for advice. Can you imagine (laughs) that? I'm calling Levin for advice. Well, I want to give you advice. Wear a neck brace. That's what I tell everybody. uh, Yeah, legal advice. I'll I'll get the neck brace. But, you know, I got these four shows, the Trump O'Reilly History Tour, always Trump first, Um, two in Florida, two in Texas. And it is all about history. And I'm trying to whittle it down because there's so much that people don't know about what happened those four years. So I'm I'm asking you, Mm -hmm. if you were interviewing Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. what are the two areas of the history of it all, what he did or did not do, that you would spotlight? First of all, if you've got so much, make it six shows. I think that would well, be no, great. Well, I might, I might do that, but we're, we're kicking with four, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to, you know, and they're really doing well, so there may be others. Um, but, you know, if this is a phenomenon, which it looks like it's shaping up to be, sure, we'll do more. Well, I think China is one big area because, let's be honest, Donald Trump was a leader in warning the United States and the world about what communist China was doing, what it was up to. And he really took some gutsy steps. You know, members of Congress yak about it all the time. Past presidents did, too. But he really put his foot down. He took some very gutsy steps against China. And I think people can learn a lot about that. Yeah, I'd like to know what she is like as a human being as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, are you dealing with an automaton here? Are you dealing with somebody you can reason with? That's a good line of questioning. What else? And then I think another one that people are interested in is the border. I mean, he took steps that were challenged legally. He was fought in the courts by the Democrats and by members of the, I guess, Congress. And he won. And I even remember a so-called legal experts, Bill, um, saying that he can't move the money around the way he wants to move the money around. And I was looking at it, and I said, this is done all the time. But they said, no, no, no. They were all over TV. And he and his lawyers were right. And that's how they got four or 500 miles of the wall. You know, I'm going to tell you something I don't think you know. Um, and I haven't been able to confirm it, and he won't confirm it uh, privately with me, but he might in the, in the history show when he's on stage. The reason he got the Remain in Mexico policy where the Mexican army actually helped the United States stem the tide of the migration was that he was considering designating the drug cartels as terrorist groups, mm. and that if he had done that, United States forces could have gone to Mexico and killed them, and we could have droned them. And Obrador did not want that to happen, because it would have been an embarrassment for him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the deal. So I am going to get into that area very specifically. But you can see what this is. So it's his four years in government were so fascinating to mm-hmm. me as a historian. As you know, I've sold... 19 million books. Good God. Um, almost as many as you. No, more. Um, and I'm a history slash journalist, and I'm trying to get information to the American people that the networks, New York Times, Washington Post, would never report. They wouldn't report it because they didn't want to acknowledge that Donald Trump did anything good. You know, I study a lot of history, particularly American history, and you really are a good historian. Weren't you a history teacher or something at one point? I was. I taught, I taught high school in Opelika, Monsignor Pace, which ironically is about nine miles from the FLA Live Arena in Sunrise, Florida, where we will be, will open there hmm. on December 11th. And, uh, you know, my history days uh, in college and teaching uh, really shaped all the rest of my career. And as you know, if you know American history, then you know a lot more about what's happening to you personally Mm -hmm. in this country. 
And that's why guys like you and me were so outraged or are so outraged that we just can't get honest news coverage anymore. People just don't know what's happening. And it's just outrageous. I want my audience to know something. You and I used to go at it pretty good, but we've gotten to know each other, which is really good. And I want the people to know you're really a good guy. You're really a sharp guy. You know this business, you know, broadcasting like nobody else. Even Hannity will tell you that. And so I, I am very, very glad that we're able to communicate like this and support each other and so forth. And it's absolutely necessary given the times these days, Bill. I agree 100%. If you have to have now an alliance of people who want to tell the truth about what's happening in our country, and even though we don't agree on everything and then we come at it from a different point of view, the American people are served by having a number of places where they can go and know they're going to hear what's really going on. And I think that was the detente between you and me. Mm -hmm. So we're on with Bill O'Reilly. Bill, so let me get this straight. You and President Trump are going to four different locations for, uh, for live events? Yes. Uh, we'll open up in Sunrise, Florida on December 11th, Saturday. And I hope you'll be my guest to that show if you're down there. Um, Give me that date again. Then we'll, what? December 11th, I'm sorry? Yes, December 11th, Saturday. Okay. That's the first show. And then we'll go up to Orlando on the 12th Sunday at the Amway Center where the, uh, the Orlando basketball team plays. And then we next weekend on the 18th at the Toyota Center in Houston and the 19th at the American Airlines Center in Dallas. So these are huge venues. Um, we've sold almost 30,000 tickets already. Wow. They make great Christmas and Hanukkah gifts. I mean, uh, if somebody ever gave you a ticket to these shows, you'll be their best friend forever. Mm -hmm. Because I can tell you, after the two hours and 20 minutes, you're going to know more about your country uh, than you could learn in five years. And it's going to be entertaining. I mean, nobody knows what's going to happen. I mean, I'm there, he's there, anything <laughs> could happen. So... You know, we're very pleased. I'm very pleased my production company putting it on um, and the whole thing. And, again, if you're down in Florida on December 11th at uh, Sunrise Lauderdale, yeah, I hope you'll come and be Let my guest. Let me see what I can do. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, That'd be fun. Now, I'm just writing this down. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, will the press be there by, by no. invitation or no? No press. Good. Um, we are going to videotape uh, all four shows for archival purposes, and I will use some of those clips on BillOReilly.com, my no-spin news, and on my radio we have 300 stations across uh, the country. In fact, you lead into me at our flagship station, WABC in New York. Um, so it's a Levin O'Reilly uh, thing, and we'll use some clips there. Sounds like and a law then, firm. Uh, yeah, well, I'll tell you what, if you hired us, you'd be in good stead. And then I think this was the reason that and it took me a while to convince Donald Trump to do this. Yeah. But I said, look, you're going to have um, about eight hours of tape because uh, he gets the tape as well. I get the tape. He gets the tape. Mm -hmm. and you can use that any way you want. And, you know, in our discussions, and I don't think you'd mind me telling you this, I keep telling him, if you're going to run for president again, you've got to change. You've got to run on your record. You've got a record. And specifically, when you put it up against Biden and the Democrats, my God, yeah, you killer. don't need, you know, the mean tweets anymore. Not to say that you don't do that sometimes. Okay. But that's not the centerpiece. Your personality isn't the centerpiece. It's what you did for the country. Do you agree with that? Oh, I think that should be first and foremost. Absolutely. Because, uh, because if he, he did he's that, a hell of a record. What's yeah, that? if he did that, he'd win. I think he'd so. Win. I mean, see, it's the independence that, look, in your state, Virginia, young can won because of independence. Mm -hmm. You're not going to change the minds of the left-wing loons. They're going to stay crazy. And Trump's base is not going to abandon him.
you need to persuade the independents to break big, as Youngkin did. And that's what Donald Trump would have to do should he choose to run again. And what does he say when you tell him that? Yeah, you know, he doesn't push back on it. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, he is a man that is so used to um, if somebody hits him, he hits back. Mm -hmm. And it takes discipline not to do that. So I'm not sure he has that discipline, but it's, it's a big prize at the end of that rainbow. You know, four more years of Donald Trump, the deal maker, and that's why he was a successful president. He made deals, okay, would bring the country back because we are in a very, as you know, and you analyze every day, mm -hmm. disastrous situation right now after 10 months with Biden. Look at the things they're finding out, Bill, about this Russia collusion stuff and Hillary oh, Clinton's it's hand. It's unbelievable. And the corruption level, my new column on BillOReilly.com is called Corruption. So what you had was you knew that the press, no matter how fictional the charges against Donald Trump were, was not going to check anything out. They were just going to run with it. There's a reporter at the New York Times named Maggie Haberman mm -hmm. who did more than 100 anonymous-based anti-Trump stories and got a Pulitzer Prize, and everything she printed was false. She didn't give back the prize. The Pulitzer Committee didn't say, hey, you got to give it back because it was all BS. And this is corruption. When you have a political party partnering up with the corporate media to destroy a Republican presidential candidate and then a president. That's mm -hmm. corruption. And getting back to the history, I think that's the worst political corruption ever Amen. in this entire republic. All right. So one more time. Where, where If people want to find you, tell us all the places they can find you. Okay. So this is an easy situation. The Fort Lauderdale, Florida show is Saturday, December 11th, Orlando, Sunday, December 12th. Houston, Saturday, September, uh, December 18th, December, 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 and in Dallas, December 19th, Sunday. Ticketmaster, all the separate arenas, but if you really want an easy gig, go to BillOReilly.com. We put you right over to the box office, whatever show you'd like to go to. And it's going to be a blast. It sounds terrific. Bill, I want to thank you very, very much. Keep up the battle, my friend. Thanks for having me on, Mark. I really appreciate it. You bet. And you take care of yourself. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. When it was learned that Eric Holder as Attorney General of the United States under Barack Melhouse Benito Obama was involved, in fact led, the effort to arm drug cartels from Mexico with the Department of Justice ordered gun stores in America to sell those guns so they said they could track the serial numbers on the guns and catch the killers or the people who use them illegally. Operation Fast and Furious, when it was learned that Eric Holder was behind this, the Republicans in Congress wanted to get to the bottom of it because a brave American on the border was murdered. 
a Border Patrol agent by one of those weapons. Eric Holder refused to comply with any of the subpoena information. And he refused to answer significant questions about the events. He was held in contempt. And what happened under the Obama administration? And Eric Holder being the Attorney General, what happened with the Acting Attorney General, that is the Deputy Attorney General? What happened with the United States Attorney in Washington, D.C., who had first decision to make about whether or not to charge Holder, convene a grand jury? They chose not to. You see, Holder was protected by Obama, who, who asserted executive privilege. Because this is what the Democrats do. They cover for one another. They conspire with one another. They stick with one another, despite all the yammering about how they're divided. In the end, they're not divided. They have the same goal, to turn this nation inside out. And to destroy their enemies, to crush them. Not to compete with them, crush them. So Eric Holder was never held to account, not for the death of a brave American hero, or for arming the enemy, drug cartels in Mexico. Now we have Steve Bannon. There is no evidence that Steve Bannon was leading an insurrection on January 6th. And yet, this committee, put together by Nancy Pelosi, in which she rejected the members that the Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, had proposed, literally rejected them. Instead, took Kingsinger and Cheney, two never-Trumpers. This committee has issued hundreds of subpoenas. Hundreds. For text messages and emails and documents... And depositions, including secretaries and other people who work for Donald Trump who wouldn't know anything and it doesn't matter. Nancy Pelosi once again using the resources of the American taxpayer and the, D- and the House of Representatives for brazen political purposes in what would uh, make Joseph Stalin a happy man if he watched this. And so Merrick Garland, who lied to Congress under oath about the coordination of the memo that his department had, among others, with the National School Board Association, who won't be charged with anything since the Democrats control all the federal prosecutors in the Department of Justice and the FBI, A liar who perjured himself, in my view. A liar whose son-in-law has made millions off of pushing critical race theory. When, of course, he should have recused himself. Stands up today or issues a statement saying that the indictment of Steve Bannon is a demonstration that they support the rule of law. No, they support the rule of the Democrats. And they will use the Department of Justice. They will use the FBI. They will use U.S. attorneys. They will use intelligence agencies. They will use whatever they can with the blessing and indeed the support of the corrupt propaganda media to damage Republicans, to damage the ex-president. And this is why people like Chris Christie and the Bushes and others are so loathsome. Because they give aid and comfort to this kind of tyranny and totalitarianism. There are criminal investigations that have taken place, led by the Department of Justice, which says this is the biggest investigation they have ever had with more resources than they've ever used. January 6th. Pretty shocking when our cities were burning. Law enforcement was under attack, including federal law enforcement. People were being killed. 
People were walking down the streets brazenly with weapons. That didn't seem to get the attention of Christopher Wray and the and the FBI. They were too busy playing a major role in the quote-unquote kidnap of the governor of Michigan, Whitmer. And apparently were very busy with agents that had secreted themselves among the crowd on January 6th. And in fact, you look at this guy, Ray Epps, if in fact he was working for the FBI, nobody can seem to find him. He hasn't been charged with anything. His face is notorious. Out there caught on video after video, pushing people to attack the Capitol building, telling them where to go in the Capitol building and so forth. As much as the media, the never-Trumpers, and the Democrats want to say it, this was not an insurrection. Let alone an insurrection led by President Trump. How could it be an insurrection led by President Trump when he's the one that offered ten to 20,000 National Guardsmen to protect the Capitol building? And Nancy Pelosi said no. And how can this be anything close to a committee trying to get the facts when time and time and time again, Broomhilda, a.k.a. Liz Cheney, is giving speeches and interviews already convicting the former president and the people around him. Why have an investigation then? Why subpoena? Why depose people? This is a rogue, a rump committee. That's what it is. And so now Bannon is indicted, and perhaps a very, very honorable man, a man of deep faith, who has served his country so well, Mark Meadows, former congressman, former chief of staff to Trump. The chairman of this committee has announced that he intends to move to have him held in criminal contempt as well. When you look at the lawlessness in this country, whether it's Black Lives Matter, Antifa, whether you look at Biden with the open border, It's shocking. Who gets punished and who doesn't? Who gets punished and who doesn't? You have this piece of crap, the head of Black Lives Matter in New York, threatening to kill people. Congress doesn't even blink. There's no commission, no select committee, no regular committee. They don't even blink. Wasn't the Proud Boys or whatever they call themselves or the other group or this group or that. It was the head of Black Lives Matter in New York City. Barely gets attention. Newsbusters did a big review of the media coverage of this. Most media outlets didn't even cover it. Most media outlets didn't even cover it. Then you read the the whole newspaper. And Andy McCarthy, who I knew well over the years, who I don't talk to anymore and I haven't for several years. Andy, a long time never Trumper, writes this long piece, rambling, in my view, almost incoherent. Yes, 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 the next president probably has. Executive privilege authority. Yes, yes, yes. The Supreme Court, 1977. Brennan wrote the opinion, but of course they were very activists back then. Almost anything went. And yes, yes, yes. But you can still go after the Bannons and the Meadows and the staffers. They're not protected. And he strongly urged, strongly urged that the select committee, the Nancy Pelosi committee, do exactly that. Because after all, you can't defy Congress. They want to find out what took place. They want to find out what took place? Really? They want to find out what took place? Don't they want to know what Nancy Pelosi did in the run-up to January 6th? Don't they want to know what the FBI did in Norfolk, Virginia, the NYPD? They all gave information to Christopher Ray's office about information they were receiving? 
Don't they want to know why Christopher Ray let that information sit on his desk for three, four, five days in a row and didn't act on it? No, they don't want to know any of that. Don't they want to know why some of the video that we've been allowed to see is the American people, much of it not, show Capitol Police waving people into the Capitol building? Don't they want to know why people who are basically wandering around on the grassy areas, the lawn outside the Capitol building, are threatened with felony prosecution? Don't they want to know why a federal judge of long standing ordered the U.S. Marshals to a surprise review of that jail, the D.C. Corrections Facility, and found it to be disgusting, inhumane, violating the civil rights of the detainees there? No, they don't want to know any of that. And neither does McCarthy. This wasn't an insurrection. The people who broke into that building must be punished. The people who attacked cops, physically assaulted them, must be punished. But that's not the 700 people who have been charged. And they continue to go after Trump, and they continue to go after his people. This is what totalitarian regimes do. This is what they do. Go after the taxes, subpoena, looking for anything they can find, depositions, make preposterous, preposterous legal claims. They're very lucky. They have a Democrat Attorney General, Democrat U.S. Attorney, Democrat President of the United States. So they think they can do whatever they want to do. They have an Obama-appointed judge in Washington, D.C., a radical leftist. I've looked at her background. And so the Trump legal team filed an emergency appeal to the D.C. Circuit. Now, the D.C. Circuit... The D.C. Circuit added... A couple more judges. Because Harry Reid and Barack Obama wanted to control the D.C. Circuit. It's considered the second most powerful court. Now you know why. These cases wind up in federal district court in Washington. Then they go to the D.C. Circuit. Then maybe to the Supreme Court. So they packed the D.C. Court with a couple more radical leftists. But the Federal Court of Appeals, according to Axios, yesterday agreed to temporarily bar the National Archives from releasing some of former President Trump's records to the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. This is how they all talk now. The House Select Committee, the Pelosi handpicked committee, the January 6th insurrection. Nobody's been charged with insurrection, treason, sabotage, nothing. The National Archives was expected to turn over the logs, draft speeches, other related documents on Friday. Trump has repeatedly tried to block the release by pursuing a legal challenge that invokes executive privilege. U.S. Court of Appeals for D.C. set oral arguments for November 30. More when I return. Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. You know, folks, uh, Julie Kelly at American Greatness deserves a Pulitzer Prize. I think the media that got Pulitzer Prizes on the Russia collusion story should turn those in. Uh, but they won't, of course. And, uh, and Julie should get at least one of those. Um, and she wrote a piece yesterday, Where Are the Neon-Hatted Proud Boys?, Julie Kelly, welcome back. Where are they? What's going on? Mark, thank you. Thank you so much for that. You're just overly kind. I appreciate what you just said. Um, yes, that's a good question. Where are all those alleged proud boys wearing orange neon caps uh, on January 6th, marching with alleged leaders of the proud boys who, by the way, Mark, at least five of them are in pretrial detention, have been held denied bail, like so many January 6th defendants languishing, rotting in prison, awaiting trials that won't start until next spring. But yet you have all of these other strange characters behind them, 
uh, doing pretty much the same thing that they were. But not only have they not been charged, they haven't been identified. They're not even on the FBI's most wanted list, 1,500 photographs. Not one has a neon hat on. So it seems a little strange. It seems uh, ridiculous. And um, you also broke the story about the conditions in the uh, D.C. corrections facility. Um, I had you on. We talked about it. We were mocked by the Washington Post's Philip Bump, who has never been to the facility to check out what took place. We have a federal judge, Royce Lambert, who sent the U.S. Marshals in there at a surprise inspection. And basically the judge said the conditions are disgusting. They're unacceptable. That, that detainees may have civil rights issues. And I noticed the Washington Post didn't pick up on that either, Julie. Did you notice that? Hmm, that's, yes, another thing that seems to be missing in this huge puzzle. Um, as they mocked us and certainly have covered with the most heated incendiary rhetoric every January 6th case and defendant, uh, they don't seem to be interested not only in the conditions that they found for the January 6th, the, the political prison there, but also just the general conditions of that mm-hmm. D.C. jail. They're so bad they're actually moving out for, uh, 400 inmates. Uh, and I'm also hearing word, Mark, that they are going to be moving out a lot of the January 6th defendants as well. It's just an abusive, disgusting, drug-ridden hellhole for everyone who's there. But it's important to note that the January 6th defendants have not been convicted of any crime yet. Mm-hmm. They are simply there under pretrial detention orders uh, dictated by D.C. district court judges who are as bad as federal prosecutors. You point out here BuzzFeed's investigative report in the Whitmer case, the governor of Michigan, which exposed the use of at least 13 FBI undercover agents and informants, described Mm -hmm. Operation Cold Snap as a far-reaching, multi-state domestic terrorism investigation into alleged militia groups. The 13 non-FBI perpetrators of the Whitmer kidnapping scheme were ensnared or entrapped, as their lawyers argue, under the ruse of Operation Cold Snap. The point is, they're lawyers, and they argue, we wouldn't even have thought about doing this stuff. These guys were dragging us by our nose, pushing us to do it, dragging us to do it, encouraging us to do it. As I understand, the head FBI undercover um, agent, uh, he's now been charged with domestic abuse or something of that extent. Why in the world are they encouraging people to kidnap the governor of Michigan? Well, because the timing was perfect for them. This is another example, Mark, of the FBI interfering in an election. Because what happened was you had 13 undercover agents, informants, and handlers who helped single-handedly concoct this scheme, get sort of these random sad sacks to uh, act as the perpetrators, They plotted everything. The FBI paid for organizational trips. They paid for surveillance trips. One of their key informants held what was called the National Militia Conference. This is legit. In June of 2020, begged people who were just on random Facebook accounts, uh, groups, to to come to this conference. Uh, There were feds everywhere. And as BuzzFeed noted, and anyone who hasn't read this investigative report really should, as they noted, without the FBI, this never would have happened. But, of course, the arrests and the announce occur when? October 8th of 2020, the key state of Swing of Michigan, as early voting is underway. Who knows how many votes were affected by, you know, this, this caper got nationwide headlines. Gretchen Whitmer held a dramatic press conference. Joe Biden made all kinds of comments about how this was Joe, uh, Donald Trump's fault. And so this is just an extension of that Operation Cold Snap leading up to the events of January 6th. And BuzzFeed is a rather liberal, if not left-wing, platform. Um, And so I want to go further here, you say, that uh, the defendants in this case are in the process of receiving long-delayed discovery from the Justice Department that will gradually reveal the full extent of the FBI's involvement in several January 6th cases. In a filing last month for Glenn Croy, a Trump supporter from Colorado, pleaded guilty to one misdemeanor. Croy's defense attorney informed the court that recent discovery disclosures confirmed FBI agents were in the crowd at the Capitol that day. Of course FBI agents were in the crowd that day. 
There's no question FBI agents were in the crowd that day. There's no question they had informants, as you point out. People, uh, the Proud Boys, some of the leaders, uh, were informants to the FBI. The idea that the FBI wouldn't have been in that crowd is nonsensical. It makes no sense. And when confronted on that, the Attorney General of the United States wouldn't say. If there were not, okay. uh, if there were not FBI agents in there, he would say, of course there weren't FBI agents in there. But he didn't say it, did he? Peter Don, and you're talking about when Representative Thomas Massey confronted Merrick Garland with clips of a man named Ray Epps, who was all over, not just January 6th, but the evening before, encouraging um, people, protesters or demonstrators, just Trump supporters, that they were going to storm the Capitol. We're going to go into the Capitol, he kept saying. He was on Constitution Avenue uh, as people were leaving Trump's speech. Okay, the Capitol's this way. We're going that way. He was also, Mark, more importantly, right behind Ryan Samsell, who's hearing I covered today another travesty. And the question now is, as you point out, uh, why have certain people not been arrested? People who are prominent in video, people who are prominent in photographs, why have they not been arrested? And in particular, there's this one fellow who's running all around the place. We've seen it in the video that was recently released. And by the way, as you know, Julie, the prosecutors didn't want to release any video if they get away with that. Um, Mm -hmm. Who's running around instigating, urging people, as you point out, to go into the Capitol. The Capitol side with big guy. What was his name? Epps? Ray Epps. Yeah. Where is Ray Epps? What do we know about Ray Epps? So Ray Epps is sort of like the Where's Waldo of January 5th and 6th. He sort of pops up everywhere, and you see him instigating people and instructing people what to do, including, as I said, Ryan Samsel, who was the first protester to breach police lines uh, on the west side of the Capitol. Right before he did that, Ray Epps whispered in his ear, and he turned his hat around, Make America Great hat, so everyone could see it, and confronted police, and that initiated the first breach of the Capitol right before 1 o'clock on January 6th. Uh, Ray Epps does have ties to the Oath Keepers. Apparently, several years ago, he was the head of the Arizona chapter of the Oath Keepers, so he has some ties to Stuart Rhodes, who, as you said, is the founder of the Oath Keepers. He is person one in every Oath Keeper. There's now on their fifth superseding indictment in that wide-ranging conspiracy case. 20 defendants, including three, who are still in the D.C. jail under pretrial detention, accused of no violent crime, by the way, Mark. But Stuart Rhodes is still walking around a free man. And it's not even clear that he's been interrogated by the FBI, you know, as the FBI goes across the country, raiding people's homes, bashing down their doors at 530 in the morning arresting them, interrogating them in front of their children. Yet Stuart Rhodes is still walking around. How is this possible? Why is, how is Ray Epps still free? Um, wh- why are these men in the neon hats with the Proud Boys infiltrated with them? Why are they not identified? You know, Mark, the New York Times already confirmed there were at least two informants working with the Proud Boys that day who were communicating with their FBI handler. We also now know, as I put in my report, there was at least one informant in the three percenters so we know that there were feds involved dating back to the summer, according to the uh, New York Times report on the Proud Boys informants. So we need to know, as Thomas Massey has raised this question and others, how many informants, undercover agents, were involved in the events before and on that day? And were they so desperate to uh, orchestrate this, this violence that they really put people at risk? in order to create all of these optics and now this this persecution of almost 700 Americans under the Capitol breach probe by Joe Biden's Justice Department. Well, you know all this, Julie Kelly. I want to thank you. Keep up the good work, okay? Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. I've been watching, as many of you have been listening or watching, the Kyle Rittenhouse closing arguments. There's no dispute uh, over uh, something the prosecution said, because I keep stepping on it regarding the Fifth Amendment, but I won't get into that right now. 
And as I watched these prosecutors, I thought to myself, you know, most of my life, most of my life I have supported prosecutors, with exceptions. But the profession, most of my life I've supported the Federal Bureau of Investigation, including my years at the Department of Justice and the Reagan administration. Most of my life, I've supported our intelligence agencies to protect us from our foreign enemies. What has happened here? And I think most of you are like me. What has happened here? That prosecutors bowed to the mob and become the voice and the instrument and the tool of the rioters and the racists. What has happened to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, an organization I held in the highest regard, that it's now used to target Trump, Trump supporters, James O'Keefe, people who believe in liberty, people who have done nothing wrong. What has happened? And I started thinking about this. And watching the closing arguments in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial really kind of crystallized this for me. The American Marxists have not only conquered large swaths of the culture, but they are now conquering those elements in our society, those forces, those people in our society who you would expect to resist them. The United States military today, our service personnel are being subjected to critical race theory. Critical race theory is the poison through which this is occurring. They tried it at law schools, they tried it at colleges and universities, and it's worked. And it's worked. Our children and our grandchildren, when they go through these, this school system, these school systems, especially the Ivy League schools, most of them come out differently. Certainly many of them come out differently. Because they're not being taught how to think, how to challenge, and so forth. They're being propagandized. They're being brainwashed. This is something that was promoted by John Dewey after you observe what Stalin was doing. The so-called progressives, who aren't progressive at all. They're, they're the children of the Marxist movements. Because look at what they're trying to do to the military now. They view the military as the enemy. But they can't beat the military in any way, so why not brainwash it? Police forces that resist the rioters and what's taking place, the racism and so forth, what happens? The Department of Justice comes in and effectively nationalizes them. Puts them under the deepest kind of scrutiny, not for lawlessness, but for ideological reasons. Look at the prosecutors. Whether it's the Manhattan DA or whether the Attorney General of New York, whether it's the Attorney General of the United States, everything they do is to advance this political, racist, ideological agenda. Everything. And if you stand in the way, the way Trump does, or the way Bannon does, or the way Mark Meadows does, or the way anybody does, or even James O'Keefe, who hasn't done anything, they're going to crush you. They're going to crush you, because this is the ideology now. What else? Look at immigration, federal law enforcement. Look at the Border Patrol and ICE. Completely defanged. So they don't defund them because people don't like that word. And they know it's politically a hot potato. So they just, may I say, deball them. Which is 
take all their authority away from them without effectively eliminating them or defunding them. And then trying to brainwash them too. And then, of course, Joe Biden is now on the pace of appointing as many judges as Donald Trump. And Donald Trump's appointments were historic in number. So what's going on here? It is a reign of terror. It is a reign of propaganda. It is a reign of uniformity conformity. And they're using the vaccines this way as well. I can bring 25 top experts on this program, all of whom will disagree with what Biden's doing. Forget about the law for a moment from a scientific perspective. Kids 5 to 11? Oh yeah, you parents, you better buckle. You better buckle under whether you like it or not. Are people of religious objections? Anybody remember Plymouth Rock around here? How this nation was founded in the first place? Or, if you don't accept what the central government's telling you, they will impose it on you. These police powers belong to the states. They don't belong to the federal government. OSHA has no authority over vaccines. Which is exactly why the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, at least three judge panels, stepped in. And I pray to God that that'll be upheld. But Joe Biden's busy changing the judiciary as I speak. The threats to the U.S. Supreme Court by this cloud of packing the court and changing the court has been hanging over that court since Joe Biden was sworn in. Since Joe Biden was sworn in. Professors who don't go along with these colleges and universities, they're blackballed. They're targeted. Teachers who don't go along with the school boards, some of them lose their jobs, they're put on suspension, what have you. And in addition to the military and the police, in addition to what's happening to prosecutors, how they're undermining federal immigration law enforcement, they've taken this ideology now into our elementary schools, our middle schools, and our high schools. That's why people are rebelling. I heard a friend of mine on radio say the other day, we don't have to worry about critical race theory anymore. He couldn't be more, more incorrect. He couldn't be more wrong. These people don't give up because they lose an election. They lose an election, they move on to some other methodology. Because this is a Marxist ideology. Critical theory gave birth to critical race theory. And the whole point of both is to discredit and undermine support and allegiance to our founding principles and our founding. What do you think the riots were all about two summers ago? Pulling down monuments, attacking American history, trashing Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, all the founders. So, I watched this trial, Kyle Rittenhouse, and while they have the legal analysts on, what does this mean, what does that mean, and everything, I step back and I take a bigger look. And then I take one more step. How the Republican Party and so many of its, of its self-proclaimed leaders have no idea what's going on. You look at Chris Christie. Chris Christie doesn't have the foggiest idea what's taking place in this country. He'll attack Biden, he'll attack Trump because, you know, he's the second coming. But all that aside, Mitch McConnell doesn't have the foggiest idea what's taking place in this country. Or John Thune, or any of the rest of them. No conceivable idea. The RNC, no idea. You know, people have to deal with this every day, they know. But these institutions that we thought were quote-unquote with us, with the Constitution, 
that would uphold the Bill of Rights, that believed in sovereignty and a secure border and law and order and all the rest. They're not with us. And those that are are being transformed right in front of your eyes. The reason critical race theory is being pushed on the military is to change the military. It is a greater threat than communist China. And trust me, communist China is the number one threat we face, except the Democrat Party in America today, its surrogates in the media and academia, its surrogates in entertainment, which are about conformity, uniformity, brainwashing, domination, ideology, and undermining the very essence of this country. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. There have been some liberal media sites and some liberals who've been talking about how the media really failed us on the Russia collusion issue. Now that Attorney Durham has indicted two people that make it quite obvious that this was a lie from beginning to end. Sarah Fisher, the media trends author over at Axios, a left-wing site, the title is The Media's Epic Fail. Stick with me. She writes, her reckoning is hitting news organizations for years-old coverage of the 2017 Steele dossier after the document's primary source was charged with lying to the FBI. It's one of the most egregious journalistic errors in modern history, and the media's response to its own mistakes have so far been tepid. Outsized coverage of the unvetted document drove a media frenzy at the start of Donald Trump's presidency that helped drive a narrative of collusion between the former president and Russia. It also helped drive an even bigger wedge between former President Trump and the press at the very beginning of his presidency. In wake of the key sources' arrest and further reporting on the situation, the Washington Post last Friday corrected and removed large large portions of two articles. She says to the Post credit, its media critic Eric Wemple has written at length about the mistakes made by the Post and other media outlets in their coverage of the dossier. BuzzFeed News, which made waves in 2017 by publishing the entire dossier, says it has no plans to take the document down. It's still online, accompanied by a note that says... The allegations are unverified, and the report contains errors. Budfee defended the decision in a 2018 lawsuit by arguing that because the FBI opened an investigation into Trump's campaign ties uh, to Russia, the dossier itself was newsworthy, whatever the merits of its contents turned out to be. It won that case. Ben Smith, who was BuzzFeed's editor-in-chief at the time, is now a media columnist at the New York Times. He said, my view on the logic of publishing hasn't changed. Other outlets that gave the document outsized coverage have so far been less forthcoming. CNN and MSNBC did not respond to requests for comment about whether they plan to revisit or correct any of their coverage around the dossier. Mother Jones, Washington Bureau Chief David Korn, what a reprobate, began reporting about the dossier prior to the 2016 election. Asked by Wemple whether he planned to correct the record, Korn said, my priority has been to deal with the much larger topic of Russia's undisputed attack and Trump's undisputed collaboration with Moscow's cover-up. Korn did not respond to a request to speak on the record with Axios. The Wall Street Journal told Axios, we're aware of the serious questions raised by the allegations and continue to report and to follow the investigation closely. They say Axios was among the outlets that did not publish the dossier, original reporting based on its contents. Oh, really? Maybe not. But nor did it have a gut, the guts to stand up against the rest. What are they not reporting over at Axios? Axios is trying to cover its ass. The Washington Post is trying to cover its ass. This guy Wemple's trying to cover his ass. None of them were skeptical at the time. None of them. Now that the, the prosecutor has stepped up, now, oh, wow, look at this. Donald Trump had denied every aspect of it from day one. Isn't it interesting to you, ladies and gentlemen? I was skeptical from day one. March 2nd or 3rd, 2017, right behind this microphone. Not the dossier, but I attacked what was happening to the president, president-elect, candidate Trump. Attacked by every single media outlet. 
the Associated Depress, the Washington Compost, the New York Slimes, the Constipated News Network, even Stephen Colbert, a part-time proctologist who practices on the side, so to speak. What about those of us who were right about the phony Russia collusion story? You see what I mean? It's not just that the corrupt media in this country is in fact corrupt and demonstrates it over and over and over again. Whether it's covering up for the Bidens, whether it's covering up for Hunter Biden, whether it's covering up for all these people and so forth. And it continues its lies to this day. Oh, there is no critical race theory being taught in Virginia schools. Yeah, right. Oh, the border's not open. Oh, okay. Oh, the, uh, the budget, the spending, they went, yeah, yeah, says somebody from the uh, New York Slimes. Oh, yes, yes, it does actually uh, cost zero. The media are corrupt for the reasons I said. I wrote about an unfreedom of the press. I talk about often, and I talked about Sunday, and I talked about it in the first hour of this show. The media are not going to make amends. They're not going to return Pulitzer Prizes. To the extent they say anything, it's, it's to cover their butts. Nobody's been fired. Has anybody been, been fired at the New York Times or the Washington Post? CNN or MSNBC? No, nobody. But it's even worse than this. The media worked hand in glove with the Obama administration, which it liked and supported. It worked hand in glove with propagandists and lawless operators at the FBI and the Department of Justice and in our intel agencies. It worked hand in hand with Adam Schiff and other sleazeballs who managed to get elected to Congress, who we subsidize, including their pensions. And it worked on behalf of the Hillary campaign. In other words, the media sold out the American people. They sold out the American people. Rather than having a graphic on all their news shows and opinion shows pointing out that we are spokespeople and mouthpieces for the Democrat Party and the American Marxist movements, they still pretend to be a media. They still pretend to be journalists. Well, let me ask you a question. How? In what way? There's no similar characteristics. They don't embrace journalistic ethics. They hire dumber and dumber people who are more and more ideologically driven. Look at Chuck Todd, Hugh Hewitt's buddy. He's a disgrace. And not just Chuck Todd. Where'd they find George Stephanopoulos? Well, they found him leading the war room in the Clinton White House. Where'd they find Jake Tapper? Handgun Control Inc. and Marjorie Mezvinsky's campaign. Or, excuse me, uh, uh, career. I think it lasted about four months. Where do they find all these people? They hang out in the same social circles. Democrats will be Democrats regardless of their professions. And that's who they are. The media are utterly corrupt, even today. You have this guy, Jonathan Capehart. He has a show on the weekend on MSNBC. He's a bigot, in my opinion. The people of Virginia who voted for a black female lieutenant governor, they're racists. Of course, that makes sense, right? Oh, yeah, they're seeking uh, absolution. From what? Or Michael Eric Dyson. Probably the biggest jackass of them all. Biggest jackass of them all. Speaks quickly and still is a moron, in my humble opinion. But they're not alone. Look at Scarborough. Scarborough sold whatever principles he had, which weren't many to begin with for a gig at MSNBC, where his 12 viewers ensure that he gets paid millions of dollars a year as he broadcasts from Jupiter, Florida. I have no problem with that. But don't lie about it with the phony pictures of the uh, Capitol building behind you. Joe Scarborough and his wife, they're not in touch with the public. Not in the least. The media's epic fail, says Axios. Well, you can include Axios, too, because Axios, even though it's one of the newer the platforms, 
It didn't stand up and yell enough. No. The media are not separate from the bureaucracy, from the government, as long as that bureaucracy and government are controlled by the party it supports. Otherwise, it's out to destroy you. And they're still out to destroy Trump. There's a piece in the Daily Beast, which is truly a pathetic, phony website. But somebody sent it to me, over the transom, all it comes, that Liz Cheney and Chris Christie really have a chance to stop Trump, even if he wants to run in 2024. So here you have a radical, left-wing, Democrat-supporting site pushing Liz Cheney and Chris Christie. Pushing them. Trying to create opposition to Donald Trump. Chris Christie doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell to do anything. And Liz Cheney less. It's because it's not a serious media platform. It's like Mediaite that takes half its stories for Media Matters. They're all a joke. They're all, they're all ideologically driven. They have no interest in real news. If they had interest in real news, they'd break some real news. Like, why is the FBI under Biden going after Project Veritas? Even the ACLU has finally raised questions about it. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Thank you, my beloved audience. Grab your copy of American Marxism. Thanksgiving's almost here. And I'll see you tomorrow.